We're going to continue in our study this morning of uh, our walk through Numbers, our Trusting God series. We are in Numbers chapter 17. That's okay. The voice of the Lord is like thunders of many waters. It's just to get your attention. God's going to speak to you. Numbers chapter 17. We're going to read uh, the whole chapter. So you can turn in your Bible or look on the screen or grab one from the pew. All right. Number 17, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and get from them staffs. One for each father's house from all their chiefs according to their father's houses. Twelve staffs. Write each man's name on his staff and write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi, for there shall be one staff for the head of each father's house. Then you shall deposit them in the tent of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And the staff of the man whom I choose shall sprout. Thus I will make to cease from from me the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against you. Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and all their chiefs gave him staffs, one for each chief, according to their father's houses, twelve staffs. And the staff of Aaron was among their staffs. And Moses despised the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the testimony, or sorry, deposited. On the next day, Moses went into the tent of the testimony, and behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms, and it bore ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from before the Lord to all the people of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his staff. And the Lord said to Moses, put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign for the rebels that you may make an end of their grumblings against me, lest they die. Thus, Moses, thus did Moses, as the Lord commanded him, so he did. And the people of Israel said to Moses, Behold, we perish, we are undone, we are all undone. Everyone who comes near, whoever who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Are we all to perish? This is God's word. Lord, help us as we study your word. It was more than 20 years ago. I was on a trip in Hawaii. It was a missions trip. I shared a little bit about that before. But it was a dual purpose. It was not only a missions trip. It was also a wedding. And I was in the wedding. And so as one who was in the wedding, uh, I was invited to be a part of the bachelor's party, which was an outing to the bowling alley. You would think the beach would have been somehow part of that, but who, you know, that's for another time. So I forget how many guys there were, probably 20 or so, and, you know, Hawaii's islands, and, you know, we've got to get from point A to B, so they split us all up into various locals who were part of this, and they were driving. So I, it was me and a friend. We we're in the backseat of this car, and there's three guys. They're driving. And the, ho- the host had written out instructions, the, the directions to get from where we were to where the bowling alley is. Passed it out to all the cars. So we get in the car, and we're like, oh, this is going to be great. Like, do you like bowling? 
I mean, I, I, I saw a thumbs up from Jeff. I heard, I heard you bowled over 200 once when you, you and Sandra first were meeting or something like that. That was part of the whole woo package. But um, I've, never, I've never crossed over 200. But, you know, I've, yeah, I, like, I like competition. So I was looking forward to this bowling, right? I mean, flew all the way to Hawaii. I mean, you're going to do something. <laughs> So I mean, we're in the back of the car, and the guys, you know, we get to the halfway, we're about halfway there, and they're like, oh, this can't be right, looking at the directions. No, 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 that can't be right. We're going to go this way. So, I mean, I'm not from Hawaii, so we go that way. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a second, I feel like we've been here before. And that's because we had. We ended up back where we were when they said we shouldn't go this way. And so they were like, oh, that's funny. Well, this can't be right, so let's go this way. And so sure enough, we went that way, and I don't know, 15 minutes later, we ended up right back where we were. And I'm thinking, I'm sure they've started bowling by now. This is, you know how bowling works when there's a group? It's like you gotta start with, it, with everybody, otherwise it doesn't work, right? So I'm like, oh, guys, come on, let's get there. So finally, we get back to the same spot, and they're like, I don't think this is right but let's try it. Lo and behold, we made it to the bowling alley. And, and I get out the car and, you know, we get out the car and then, of course, they're already like three quarters of the way through the game. And I'm so mad. I'm like, seriously, guys, just follow the instructions, the directions. They're, they're there. I'm not even from here. And I would, this seems like a better solution. The reality is, for many of us, when we think about approaching God, sometimes we feel that way. We feel like those guys who were looking at the instructions, that can't be right. Let's go this way instead. And in this text, that's what's going on with the nation of Israel. This whole business about the rods and the staffs and the budding and all of this. And so the title for our, or the sermon today is Approach God on his terms, not ours. Approach God on his terms, not ours. Don't be that person looking at the instructions and saying, that can't be right. We should go a different way. There's three points to pull out of this text. Number one, we want it our way. Number two, the problem with our way. And number three, the way made for us. We want it our way the problem with our way and the way made for us. As we've been walking through uh, the wilderness with the people and sort of going through this week by week, we get this sense of, man, still struggling with some of the same things. We see grumbling, we see complaining. God, you're not a good leader. God, this is not, why, why Moses? Now why Aaron? Last week, we looked at, in chapter 16, the sin of self-exaltation and the need to trust God to be humble. And what's happening here is, is in Israel is this whole issue of the priesthood is under contention in chapter 16 and chapter 17. They're basically like, why, Aaron, why does Aaron have to be the priest? Like, can't we, we're all holy. God, he talks to all of us. So what do we need this whole priesthood thing for? Can't we just all go to God? Let's democratize how we approach. That, that, the nation of Israel is saying, 
this can't be right. That cannot be the way we come to God. You know what? Let's go this way instead. Let's, let's all of us just have the same access. We want it our way. Let's, let's look at what's happening in this text. I mean, this feels culturally you know, pretty distant. I mean, you've got this whole business. What's the deal with 12 staffs? And one of them grows almonds? Really? Well, let's see. Let's take a look. First of all, it starts off, God is the one who's speaking to Moses. And then Moses is going to relay this message to the people. And so God says to Moses, this is God's idea, tell the people in verse 2 to get staffs, one from each of the 12 tribes. There's a head of each of the 12, the most senior or the most elder And each one is supposed to provide a staff. And then you're supposed to write on, and then the verse two, each man's name on his staff. So now we've got their name on these staffs. You've got 12 staffs. But one of those staffs is going to come from Aaron, the guy under contention. Like if you remember Korah in chapter 16, you know, what's the deal with the priesthood and why do we need Aaron? We're all holy, that whole thing. And so they're still, they're still unsettled. They're still not will, willing to, it, before it was Moses, now it's Aaron. They're still not willing to fully settle in. This cannot be the way God wants us to know him, to have this guy as the priest. So Aaron, okay, you're going to be the head of the house of Levi. So we're going to have 12 staffs. And you're going to put those, God says in verse 4, in the tent of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. So just... In, in studying that, probably what that's referring to is the, holiest, the Holy of Holies, the place where the Ark of the Covenant is. This is the place where actually only the priest could go, the, the high priest. And so all 12 of these staffs are going to go be put, deposited in there. The staff, verse 5, of the man whom I choose shall sprout. That's weird. But God says... One of these staffs, the way you're going to know, because this is so bizarre, but these are staffs made out of wood. They would be, of course, dead by this point. One of the staffs is going to sprout. And that's how I'm going to put an end to all of this grumbling that's happening in the nation as they grumble against you, Moses and Aaron, verse 5. So Moses in verse six, he goes and he relays this message to Israel and he collects all of these staffs. But as I mentioned before, there's, a, there's this contention, there's this sense of, God, you've prescribed it to be this way that we have to somehow elevate Aaron as this guy that we have to go through, but we don't think that's right. Let's go a different way. You see, the reality is, is, is in the wilderness, you have, to, you have to image, you have to imagine the scene. This nation, they have, um, it's been over a year, but they've been in the wilderness and they have erected a tabernacle. And the tabernacle is the place where God is going to meet with them. They had no such thing when they were in Egypt as slaves, but now they have a space for God to come visit with his people. The tabernacle sits in the center of their whole setup. You've got 12 tribes that are aligned in groups all around 
the tabernacle. I mean, you've got a nation of hundreds of thousands of people. And so in the center of their existence is the presence of God. And it's, 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 it, it, the wilderness becomes this test. It, it's a test for us. So when you, when you face hardship, that's your wilderness. When you go to, you know, you have a bad review in your job, that's your wilderness. Uh, when you have sicknesses that break out in your home, that's your wilderness. You, you, you have this experience where the, the, you have a need, but there's not an immediate way to fix it. You have some report back from the doctor. That's your wilderness. And it's in that moment, what you get tested the way they're tested. Is, is Jesus Christ really the center? Or is something else the center? Because for them, it wasn't, it, although physically the presence of God was supposed to be the center, he wasn't the center. They, it was their way. It was, we want it our way, God. We don't want to, we don't want to follow these instructions. We don't want to follow these rules. We don't want to have to do it this way. I mean, shouldn't it be this way? Shouldn't it be that we all, we could just go a different way to God? We, we really, I mean, what's the deal? Why, why do we need, why do we need all of this sort of prescribed ways to follow? And when you enter into your wilderness, is Jesus enough? Or is it, does it reveal that there's something else that really is at the center of your life? The Israelites, they wanted it their way. And though it looks like, a, on one level, a, a gripe about the leadership, on a deeper level, it's saying, God, you know what? I think, I think my way's better than yours. I think that you've created too, too, much, too many hoops here. That's the story of our hearts. We want it our way. But here's the problem with our way. A.W. Tozer says this. He says that the gulf that separates the creator and the creature the gulf between the being we call God and all other beings is so great and vast and a yawning gulf. If you do not engage in deep thinking, it may not seem so amazing, but if you have given yourself to frequent thoughtful consideration, you are astonished at the bridging of the great gulf between God and not God. See, what's going on here, the problem here, the problem with our way is it, it brings God down and it brings us up and it makes the difference. Oh, it's kind of it's like the Sistine Chapel. It's just about that much. And so therefore, well, why would we have to do all of these things that God is saying to get to him? There's got to, that doesn't seem right. Let's go this way. It's only this, this much distance anyways. We can get there. But A.W. Tozer is saying, have you ever considered the gulf between God and all of his creation? It's immense. And it's not just a physical distance. For us, it is a moral distance. It is a distance between his holiness and our sinfulness. 
Isaiah says it this way. It's not that God's arm is too short to save. It's not that his ear is too dull to hear. It is your sins that have separated you from him. It's a moral distance. It's a great gulf. It cannot be crossed by turning left instead of, well, what does his instruction say? How do we approach him? That's the problem. And here's how it breaks down for us on the ground. Really two ways, the cultural way and the religious way. Frank Sinatra said in his song, I did it my way. For what is man? For what is a man rather? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. In other words, all you have is you. So in a cultural statement, what that means is you belong to yourself. That's all you have. You belong to you. Your body belongs to you. You are your own. And our culture says, you know what? That's the road of freedom. No one can tell you what to do. You do it. Why, why follow this instruction? Surely there's another way to God. You're on your own. You be you. Be free. Alan Noble in his book in talking about um, how you are not your own, uh, he bases it off of the Heidelberg Catechism question one, um, quote, yeah, question and answer one, which basically states that as believers, what the scripture teaches us is in stark contrast to our culture, we do not belong to ourselves. You belong to Jesus Christ, your body and soul in this life and in death. So that whether you live or whether you die, you live for the Lord, you die for the Lord. You belong to the Lord. But our culture says, no, 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 you belong to yourself. Frank Sinatra said, what has man got? If not for himself, if not himself, then he has not. You have nothing else. You have no other way. But like the Israelites, it's like one of those staffs that gets handed back. And there's no but on that. On verse 8, the next day Moses went into the testimony and behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms and it bore ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out the staffs from before the Lord to all the people of Israel and they looked and each man took his staff and the Lord said to Moses, put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign for the rebels that you may make an end of their grumblings against me lest they die. Can you imagine how humbling it must have been for each of the other 11? They got back their staff and nothing happened. I mean, that's, that's gotta be humbling. Like, cause it, in, in their hearts, they're like, you know what, you know what God, there's gotta be a different way. And so they had agreed, okay, God's going to show us. And at some level, maybe there's a hope. You know what? I'm sure tomorrow I'm going to have a bud on my staff. I mean, because this is just ridiculous. I mean, come on, look at Aaron. There's no way. And so the 12 put their staff in, their names are on it. Can you imagine how humbling? Okay, so-and-so, here's your staff. Oh, there's nothing on that. Oh, geez. So-and-so, okay, here's your staff. There's nothing on that. It's, it's humbling. It's humbling to, be, to realize, actually, you know what? 
um, maybe we should go, maybe we should, maybe, we should, okay, let's just try this. Let's just try the directions. Let's just try to get there. Maybe, okay, this way didn't work, that way didn't work. It's so humbling. It's humbling to realize, wow, I was wrong. It's, 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 it's the humbling that I felt. Uh, so on Wednesday, for those of you who were here for, good, for uh, Ash Wednesday, and lining up, and, and when you come down, and then to put the ash on your forehead and say, from dust you came, to dust you shall return. That humbling expression that basically says, you're gonna die. That, it's that humble reminder that we're not invincible. We want our way, but our clock is ticking. That's the, that's, the, that's the way of our culture. The way of religion is also a way of putting all the pressure on you. Jesus talked about the Pharisees and he says that they wash the outside of the cup, but they leave it. The inside is, is dirty. It's full of greed, full of strife. Religion just says, you know what? All you have to do is fix your behavior. You don't have to do, you don't. Here's the way. Fix your behavior and everything is good. But if you give the staff back to the religious person, there's no but in it. There's no life in that. There's 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 no joy. There's no new life. And so what is the way made for us? Point three. What is the way made for us? You see, the reality is, as I said before, I I, I keep trying to say, they're pushing against the priesthood here. Chapter 16, if you look at it in context, chapter 16, it's Korah and his rebellion. They're coming against Aaron. Moses says to the people, what is Aaron that you would vie for his role, right? Aren't you happy, you Levites, that you get to carry the... The, the, the tabernacle. Um, you see this uh, confrontation here in 17, but then in chapters 18 and 19, it seems like this non sequitur because you get all this instruction about the priesthood and, and the, the, their duties and um, the laws of purification. What's, what is God saying? God is saying, I've established my priest and it comes from Aaron. That's why his staff budded. That's why not only did it bud, but it, there was a flower, it blossomed. And not only was there a flower, there were actually almonds that came through overnight. That's remarkable. God is saying, I have established the priesthood. And this is a key point in the history of Israel because it's in chapter 20 that we see Aaron, he dies. And God has to firmly establish there can be no more competition because then this is going to pass on to Aaron's sons. That was the way that God had made for his people that they needed in order for them to come near. They needed a high priest. Every year on Yom Kippur, every year the high priest would make a sacrifice for himself and then he would make a sacrifice for all the nation to forgive their sins. And he could go and enter into that place, the testimony where the ark was. And the scriptures says, if he forgets one step, see, he would have these bells on his ankles. <laughs> it's not an ankle bracelet. But if you're moving, you're, you're making noise. If he forgot a step, he's not moving anymore because he falls dead. And there was a little rope that he had attached. And so if that happened, they could pull 
pull them out without getting in the presence of God themselves and therefore uh, entering their own demise. God had established this priesthood for a reason. What is the reason? Well, let me explain the let me explain the almond first. The whole thing, like why almonds? Like why not like cherries? You know, or ice cream? Why didn't that come out of the staff? I mean, that would be fun. Why almonds? Well, a couple of things. One is, in, if you look at the list of how the tabernacle is designed, the, the, uh, the, 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 the candles um, that were illuminating, they, they, there's an, they're, made, they're made like an almond branch. So there's, this, there's a symbolism of Aaron is really my priest, because see, you look at the, what's, in, what's uh, uh, designed for the, um, the candles, it's an almond. But th- there's also this linguistic thing. The word almond in Hebrew and the word, the verb to watch, they actually have the same letters, just vowels are slightly different. So when you say the word almond, shaked, it sounds like the word to watch, shakad. God is saying, I am watching over you. Jeremiah picks up on this in Jeremiah chapter one, where he's, the, the, the Lord shows him an almond tree and God says, I am watching over my word. God is showing, I am watching over you. This staff is gonna become a symbol for the rest of their existence. It stayed in the presence of God as a reminder, God saying, I am watching over you. Okay, but the greater reality is that this is pointing to a greater high priest who would come. And, and the difference is, the people end up and they ask this question, somewhat rhetorical, but not beyond rhetorical in some ways. It says, everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Are we all to perish? See, if they approached the presence of God, they would die. I mean, it was so serious. God is demarcating, I am holy, This is how you come to me. When you look at the instructions, you better follow them. The consequences are high. I am holy. But as Christians, as believers, we have a greater high priest. And unlike them who respond in fear, if we come near, we will die. Jesus atones for us in his own body. And that atonement is so powerful, so efficacious that he welcomes sinners. He doesn't distance them. And so this morning, you might say, yeah, I I, I understand that. I, I, I get that. But in reality, in your practice, in your, how do you view God? How do you view him? Do you view him as someone who, when things are going well, when you're making the right choices, he's really excited about you. But when you start getting off track, you don't want to go near him. Because if that's your view of God, you've missed, the, you've missed this high priest. You've missed what Jesus has actually done for you. Jesus, he welcomes sinners into his presence. Sinners who will put their faith and their trust in him. Hebrews says that, in fact, your 
to have confidence. Hebrews 4, 15. Confidence coming to God's very throne to receive mercy and grace. If you view that, hey, God is good with me as long as I'm doing the right thing, but if I turn off, man. See, because the reality is we all, <laughs> we all are like my, well, they weren't friends, but the folks driving the car, we're all like that. Ah, this can't be right. Why do we have to go this way? God, you know what? I'm just going to do this. But instead of having to fear like the Israelites, if we approach God, we're going to die. Jesus says, come to me. Even for those who've turned away, even for the wayward, Jesus says, I made a way for you. Do you view God like a, do you view God like the highway patrol guy? You, you, you know what I mean? Like you're on the highway and you're like cruising along and either there's two things that are happening. Either you're going the speed limit and you're like, oh, I see you. What's going on? Look at me obeying the law here. See you later. Or <laughs> you're like, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> I was going too fast and you're looking in that rear view mirror. Are the lights coming on? 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 Okay, I think I'm clear. Some of us view God that way. That his only movement towards us is to show us how wrong we are. But if we're doing the right thing, he's hands off. But Jesus as our high priest, he shows us, you know what? I'm moving towards you. I am pursuing you at all times. Regardless of whether you're doing what's right or you're doing what's wrong, I'm pursuing you. That is the greatness of our high priest, Jesus Christ. It, 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 it speaks of it all throughout the book of Hebrews. In reality, all of us, we want our own way. God's way seems so daunting. We get confused. We, we get it mixed up. We think, we think freedom is, I'm going to make my choice. I want a God where either, A, I can just come to him as I please, or B, we think it, it really just, it's all up to us. And when our performance isn't going so great, man, okay, I guess I just can't really be near God right now. But Jesus, our great high priest, says neither of those is true. Neither of those is the way to me. In fact, that the way, God's way to him is through, Jesus says, it's through me. That we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens and he beckons sinners to come to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing love that you would send your son to broken, wayward, obstinate sinners like us. How amazing is your love for us? And we pray, God, that not only would we not just choose our own way, but that we would understand what your way actually is, the way of grace and mercy. That you say that we could approach you. We have a great high priest who has co-suffered 
with us, who, has, who sympathizes in all of our weaknesses, that we could come to you, Lord, and receive grace and mercy in a time of need. Lord, may we grow in our trust of you. In Jesus' name, amen.